What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Got my Prevna 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Welcome back, All the Smoke, ATL edition. We in Jack's backyard this week. Uh, man, I want to welcome to the show right now someone who I've looked up to for a long time and, and has been very inspirational. And I'm glad that he got a chance to finally tell his side of the story. Definitely going to get into that. Welcome to the show, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. 
Hey, thanks for having well, me, brother. Thank you Always for coming through. Thank I you for coming. At, at, at one time, I was calling him last name because we had the same last name at one point. I used to call him last name. <laughs> oh, right. Jack and I, uh, obviously a part of the Showtime family, so we were able to watch your documentary called Stand um, on Showtime. What do you want the viewers to come away with after they get a chance to hear your story and your words? And that's always a, 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 a tough uh, question to answer, but um, whatever, whatever resonates with them, man. Mm. You know, my, my story is, everybody has a story. I say that all the time, and everybody's story is impactful in its own way. But, uh, you know, coming up from nearly nothing, mm -hmm. uh, single parent, the struggles that came with that, uh, being in many ways miseducated, the struggles that came with that, mm -hmm. and how I evolved out of that. Uh, having a neurological disorder. You know, there's so many people suffering now. You mm -hmm. know, so many children committing suicide with all of these mental challenges. And uh, and then just the evolution of my education and, and positions that I ended up taking that uh, cost me my career, mm. you know, mm. uh, social, political. So there's a lot uh, to gain from it. I mean, you will have one of the most powerful stories. It's obviously a human story, but particularly it pertains to sports. Uh, we briefly just touched on it right before we sat down, before we got on air. Mentally, what was it like going back and, like you said, you always have those feelings, but they kind of rehash some of those feelings from from anger to frustration to despair to, you know, the joyful times of playing. But what was it like kind of somewhat purging all that and bringing all that back out for the world to see? It was a challenge, man. It was uh, anytime you were trying to uh, tell your story again. You know, there's a lot of information that you thought, you know, you forgot about or that you actually forgot about that reemerges mm -hmm. in, in the storytelling process. And it hits you. It's therapeutic. Yeah. Uh, there are moments, man, where you break down and cry, right. you know. And we've seen, yeah, we've yeah, seen it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, and so that's that's basically, man, it's, it's uh, it was time-consuming. Uh, the energy that you have to put in just reap. Look, we didn't grow up with uh, the, the habit of keeping journals. No, right. You know, so, so many things we forget. Mm -hmm. And so that, it was definitely time consuming. And I'm just happy that we finally got to this point where we finished it. And it's a great, great director with Jocelyn Rose, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. doing, doing, doing the take on it. So I'm excited to see what people think. Dope. Gulfport, Mississippi. Single mother. Um, I know that what that feels like. <laughs> I grew up in that. And uh, your siblings literally had to hunt animals and squirrels just to have food. Um, I know what that's like, but I don't know what that's like. Can you kind of like take us into that feeling of growing up in that situation? Man, look, it's, it's tough. I know that's cliche, man. Just not knowing all the times where your meal is going to come from. And also resisting the urge day in and day out having to go steal. Yeah. You know, and so we were fortunate to be in an environment where we would see some pear trees here and some blackberries on the side of the road that we can get to sustain ourselves. And, uh, you know, when mom, you know, when our mom did finally was able to make groceries here and there, or you know, an aunt or an uncle that had something, you know, a, a lot of African-Americans, I think we eat fast because you don't know where the rest that, first, that first plate, Especially if you have a second one, you eat that first one faster, you can get that second one. So uh, that's the way it was with us, man. And but I'm grateful. I'm grateful to have come out of that experience. And and those experiences have a way of humbling you, mm. for sure, making you very appreciative and grateful for for everything that you have. 
and also sympathizing with other people who don't, don't have. Who don't have it. Because right, you know what it feels like. Right. How can yeah. you complain? Yeah, you right. know what it feels like. You talk about um, your younger days <clears throat> seeing, actually seeing members of the KKK marching. Mm. Uh, what's crazy to me is I played in I played in Indiana in 2005, six, and they were still having Klan rallies mm. up and down the major streets. For sure. Seeing that as a young kid, you know, we hear about racism, but I actually didn't see an actual KKK growing up, never in my life, actually, except until I saw the parade. How damaging is, is that to a kid? to be able to see that? And what was your mental being able to go through that as a youngster? You know, it was uh, it was hard to see, but it was confusing, you know, because you live in a society where you taught certain values the way things should be, right? And at the same time, you're like, well, if this organization is so terroristic the way you say it is, so filled with hate, how can you allow them to exist the way they do, right? And to brandish it. So as a young boy, it was just, it was confusing. You know, it angered me at the same time. And th and then, you know, the confusing part too was, man, you didn't know who was under those right. uh, mm -hmm. those they sheets. Were, they were cowards, they was hiding Right, and so <clears throat> you start looking at people very suspiciously, mm. right? Because people will smile in your face, but, you know, stab you in your back. And so your whole existence after a while is just, man, you just don't know who to trust anymore. And so you smile, you, you're cordial, but you're always keeping your guards up. Mm -hmm. You know, especially as, as, as black people, you know, we, what we've gone through, it just heightens it. It's like you can never truly drop your guards. It's hard to be a kid like that. You, it, it, almost impossible. Yeah. But there's a good side of that too. You know, I think we live in a society where they dumb us down and they extend childhood, right? To the point where we 1920, you still, well, this is a child. Mm -hmm. No, technically, in some countries, they're 13 mm -hmm. years old, and they have adult responsibility. They grow up faster. So in that sense, there's some positives that come out of it, too. You learn fast. You know, you look at the world a little differently. Mm -hmm. And it toughens you up. Yep. You say, look, man, you know, you have to decide. You have to make decisions, man. I got to, and that's a, that's a part of it, too, in terms of what propelled me, not just cliche of being great, but it's like, man, I got to do something. I got to take care of my family. And you try to figure out, what am I good at? Mm -hmm. And then you got to go for it. You got to go for broke. And uh, so some good came out of it, but it's, it can be traumatic. Yeah. And, and not can be, it is traumatic. It is traumatic. You know, we try to, we try to, you know, as men and as people be tough about it, but no, that stuff is traumatic. That stuff stays with you. Like, I'm 53 years old. And as I'm talking about it right now, I still feel the emotions coming from that. Yeah, I mean, I had an incident um, my senior year of high school where white kids messed my sister, spit on her, called her a nigger, so I ended up whooping him as a big brother, and I got suspended three months away from going to UCLA. While my, I was suspended, my whole, the KKK came in, burned down bathrooms, swastikas, niggers everywhere, hung a mannequin with the noose with my football jersey on and died nigger. And that, that was at 17 years old. I'm mm. 42 today and, and still feel like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And it was in the same backyard. So like you said, you look at people a little different when those things start happening because, like they said, they could be smiling and shaking your hand, but at the same time could have been behind what was going on because you never know. So it, like you said, it's something that obviously you learn from. It hardens you, but it, 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 it completely gave me a different outlook on life at that age. I was biracial Italian and black, but I looked at myself as a black man from mm -hmm. that day forth because that's how I was treated. Mm -hmm. And, and <clears throat> the fact that you just said that... Uh, 
we still feel that. And mm -hmm. I think a part of the reason we still feel that is because we still see it. It's right. still going on. It mm -hmm. still goes on, so we can't forget it. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Tourette's, you were finally diagnosed at 17 with it, and you, in the documentary, you, you struggled. You didn't know <laughs> what it was, what it was called. You know, the doctor gave you a reason of, you know, what to say. But mm -hmm. was it a relief when you kind of were diagnosed with it and, 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 and started kind of finding ways to, 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 to manage it? My goodness, man, when I finally found out, again, when he first told me, I was still like, I didn't, like, mm -hmm. am I going to die from this? Is it like cancer or something? Right. But uh, it, it, took a, it took an enormous weight off my shoulders uh, because all of that time I was just, I was never truly comfortable with the explanation. They're just habits. They mm -hmm. come and they go. Right. <laughs> like, you know, and, uh, and the horse pills that I had to take constantly, man, that, Huge. I mean, they were massive. I can remember they, they were orange with jelly-looking substance inside of them. And I would gag constantly, man. I, and so I stopped taking them, just gave the impression I was taking them. But uh, people looking at you strange, not being able to have a, an adequate explanation for mm -hmm. it. And then when finally uh, my high school coach's wife convinced my mother, and prior to that, my mother would take me to the hospital. They put EKGs in my head. Tell him I need to stay up for 24 to 48 hours, <laughs> you know, all type of stuff, man. And, and none of that worked. And, uh, but when they finally took me, he, he noticed right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And he told me, man, he just literally said it was hereditary. Mm. And I said, okay, well, it's not just, it's, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I had somebody that gave right, it to me, right, you yeah. know. It wasn't just me. So that took a weight off my shoulders, man. And it caused me to move a little differently, be a little bit more comfortable with it, because mm -hmm. I had an explanation right. behind it. Uh, I mean, me personally not knowing too much about it now to this day, <clears throat> is there ways you know what tools you have to handle it, or is it constant medication? How do you handle the Tourette's to this day? Great question. Uh, I don't. I stopped taking medication, man, uh, uh, when I was at LSU. Okay. I just, it was a personal decision, mm -hmm. because... I was on Haldol in high school, and I came to find out later that Haldol was a uh, drug that they give to psychopaths, like to just, mm -hmm. just numb and put them to sleep. I said, wow. I kind of, I had to pat myself on the back. Yeah. I said, darn, man. Because in high school, I was 155 in uh, uh, my senior year. We played like 41 games a year. And so... At the end of that year, I was like 175. There's no way I should have gained that weight, but mm -hmm. it had me gaining. I, when I wasn't moving, I would always be sleepy and, and eating. Mm. Like if I just sat here and didn't say nothing. Go out. I'd just be dozing out in class. Those coach start talking a little bit too long. Damn. I'd doze off. And so it caused me to gain all that weight. I get to LSU, I'm 185. Mm-hmm. Because of the how dog, a, a little, and so I'm literally a little big body guard. I'm literally twenty some, almost thirty pounds overweight. Crazy. Still, killing. I said, man, I I broke a record, <laughs> out of shape. Right, imagine. I can only imagine. Right, what I could have did if I was in shape. Could have been forty. Yeah, so I just decided I don't want. They put me on Prozac and Prolixin. It didn't have the side effects. It caused me to lose, but then I just said, you know what? I'm just gonna pray. Mm. I'm gonna train. I'm gonna try to eat right. Get my rest. And I'm going to deal with it that way. Mm. Yeah, because I started early, even before I knew, I started to develop a distrust for the pharmaceutical industry mm. and the healthcare industry. 
Just, I'm like, just it's cause. like almost everything y'all give me, there's side effects. More side effects than benefits. Right. So I'm going to try my luck on the natural way. Mm. You've always been a, a laid-back type of guy. Mm. You've been like that since, since a youngster. Do you think that the, the, the way that you handle stuff and always been laid-back help you deal with Tourette's? Yeah, I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty laid back, but I can get Fiery. I can be animated. Yeah, yeah you know I know that too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, too. yeah. I think we all have it. Yeah, mm -hmm. some more than others, but yeah. it definitely helps, man. Tourette's is like uh, I don't I'm not a woman, but I've heard women talk about hormone hormonal issues, mm -hmm. right? And so if I'm excited, if I'm nervous, if I'm angry, that can exacerbate the yeah, symptom. Mm, and I mean, yeah. I'm talking about they can be mm. like. Violent. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I used to, I mean, I used to pop my, I don't want to do it now, but I used to pop my neck so hard and throw my arms out to where it felt like I was about to dislocate my yeah. my elbow. It felt like I was about to, like, literally pop, injure my neck. I would feel my brain, like, hit, feeling like it hit my skull. I would, I'm, I'm tensing up mm -hmm. as I'm playing and working out, you know, Imagine being on staff, master and work. Yeah. Fine. And that's taking more out of you. Right. You got to push harder. And so this is why mostly every day that I train, like literally, and it's, I'm not exaggerating, I almost died every day because I wanted to quit. Chris Jackson wanted mm -hmm. to stop at hour yeah. and a half. Yeah. Tourette's Syndrome said, no, nah, man, you got to play me now. Mm. And it's got to be just like this. Perfect. And no matter how tired you are, uh, you got to fight through it. You can't take no rest. If there's a glitch in the move, before you shoot it, it don't count. If all of the shots have to go net, everything had to feel perfect. Those last 10 shots of that, if I trained an hour and a half, I have 10 shots to make. And I got to get them up. Everything had to feel perfect. Coming off my hand, the dribble, the planting of my feet. And if one thing was off, even if I made the shot, I couldn't go back and say, if I'm at nine in a row and I hit 10 and it skims the rim, I can't retake the shot and say 10. I have to start at zero. That may take me another hour and a half. Mm. Then I'm leaving the court. I'm dribbling. As I'm leaving the court, <laughs> if the ball don't feel right a few times, I back up. I'm underneath the goal again. I shoot it. Don't feel right. I got to do that same 10. Same way, two times. That's when I started. I said, I got to improvise because if I don't, I'm going to kill myself. I had to take the ball and I had to throw it towards my house after I finished. That way, when I finally got the ball and I was dribbling, I messed up, I back up, I'm not underneath the goal. Yeah. Mm. I can make it home. Then I had to come back Damn, and do that again. That's crazy. Before the day was over. So that was, I don't know, if I would have known that statistically we had a better chance of becoming doctors and lawyers. Yeah, the basketball players. <laughs> I don't know if I would have went through right, that. Right. Because literally, I was every day, man, I had to wake up and I was threatening, you know, death. I, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. You spoke in the doc to how some of those habits actually helped you mm -hmm. become a better basketball player. And it was really to what you just spoke with right there, just the, the constant repetition and, mm -hmm. and work that you had. It wasn't a choice. Like you, you didn't have a choice. You had to do it. Right. It 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 did. Um, uh, the precision. Uh, not, it wasn't enough just to make the shot. Right. How you made it, you know, and and getting to a spot, you know, and 
envisioning two, three invisible people. Mm -hmm. And they're literally physical. They're this close to the basketball every time you dribble and shoot. So you're trying to escape, mm -hmm. you know, create space with your imagination. Wow. And so in your mind, you're like, if I can create space with my imagination, a human being don't have a These chance. These defenders don't got a right? chance. Right, so you, this is every day. And uh, the good thing is that also, if you're fortunate, it doesn't always work out this way. Things you're passionate about, they're carryovers to everything. Yeah. You know, Bruce Lee has this great story about a protege. He was like, let's go run three miles. He didn't want to run. As they were running, he finally convinced them to do, was huffing and puffing. <laughs> he said, well, look, let's go too. He said, man, I'm about to die. He said, well, die then. Bruce kept running. Dude was mad. So in his anger, he started running more. And when he finished, you know, because he was running because he was angry that Bruce mm -hmm. said, die. <laughs> he went, go ahead and die. And he said, why were you so hard on him, Bruce? He said, because once you give up on yourself, there's carryovers. You give up on your family. You give up on your business. Mm -hmm. So the same with the, the, the training. And as I was training and going through that, man, when there's something you're attached to, like issues, right. they're carryovers. So when people say, well, why did you do what you did and say what you said. Right. Look, man, if I'm going to send myself through this abuse because of this, and I'm going to go through all of this, and I got to do the same thing on other issues mm. as well. So it leads to one thing. One thing leads to another. Basketball is the path you decided to take. Was there anyone you looked up to uh, growing up, or was it just all about your game? No, I mean, I looked up to so many people. My guy, ironically, my guy was Dr. J. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, Dr. J... You would have thought it would be Isaiah Thomas or somebody, somebody like that. My height. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he was just so exciting. But I, I'm always attracted to guys too, man. Dr. J was so humble mm -hmm. the way he carried himself. Still is. Yeah. And and those type of guys, man, just along with their ability, just they just drew me in. And so he was the guy that I watched. But we didn't have cable. So I'm in Mississippi, so we catch all the Hawks games okay. that come on. So I would watch. And I watched NBA. I didn't really, I watched college. But I watched 90-some percent of the NBA because I said, if this is where I want to be, this is where I have to see. learn from. LSU, you decide to go to LSU uh, right out the gates. Dominant. Have a record today that still stands. As a freshman, you averaged 30.2 points a game. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that. You touched on, at that time, you were on medication, so you were plus 25, but you were still out here setting records. Talk to us about your, particularly your freshman year uh, at LSU. You know, I came in, man. When I first came in, they had a guy named Fess Irving. And I was looking to play alongside Fest. But something happened where they said, look, his father came in and told Dale that uh, if he's coming, if Fest ain't going to start, we're leaving. He said, well, you might as well pack your bags. Because <laughs> Dale don't like to be strong on. Right. Who I'm, does, I'm right? I'm the coach, right. Right. And so that left me just kind of like with, with no competition. And... Uh, I still think back, man. I pinch myself. I say, why? Because it happened so fast. Yeah. You know, you dream, and we all have aspirations and dreams. But when it starts to... Materialize. Die, like, oh, you know, and it's a little scary. Mm -hmm. um, especially, I'll get to that later, but I ended up, man, um, having my first game was like 13. I was just trying to feel things out, but I felt I could have did a whole lot more. Second game, I had 21. That's when Dale stopped me going into the locker room. He said, look, Chris, he said, we need, at the time, he said, we need you to score more. I said, coach, I'll try. And that third game, I had 48. <laughs> that Shit. fourth game, I think 30, whatever. And then the fifth game of Florida, 
That's when it was, you know, nationally televised. They were the number one team in SEC. And I had 53. Mm. And I fouled out three of their guards. And then that's when it just, it, it exploded for me. Um, and I still, man, I'm like, wow. I look back. But the reason why it was so hard for me, brothers, is this. I could never embrace success the whole time I was there. I could never get comfortable with it because I was always thinking that something's going to happen to me. Too good to be this true. This is too good to be true. Mm. And I started reflecting the old I got, and I said, this is why. And this is why I'm so adamant with trying to educate myself and just to share as much information as possible. Because I said, man, I, I was like, what, what caused me to think this way? You know, they say our society, our environment, and, and, and the people around have a way of molding and shaping us. And I said, we used to watch Sanford and Son in good times on a continuous basis. And they were always either in the junkyard or the ghetto. Mm -hmm. And they were always trying to get out. And every time something was about to happen that would get them out the ghetto, something would happen to kick them right back in. Yeah. Every show. And I said, man, this seems like a social conditioning. And so I started to look at all the stuff I was listening to and learning and studying. I said, this is where this came from. You know, this is why I could never truly embrace it. Mm. Always felt something's going to happen to me. Right? This is too good to be right. true. No, it should have been. No, that should have been the best time of my life. Right. I'm the closest I've ever been to making it. Mm. You know, and so. Yeah. At what age, not to cut you off, at what age did you start reflecting back on that? Because it sounds like you never were able to really enjoy the success you were having while you were having it. I started reflecting when I got to the league. Ah. Yep. I became a Muslim. I started meeting brothers. They started giving me books. You know, think authors I've never heard of, information I've never read before. Mm -hmm. And uh, it started to make me Click. think. Yeah. Shaquille O'Neal comes to LSU. Uh, what's your first early memories of Shaq? Gigantic guy. <laughs> like, in shape, confident, playful. Um, uh, and I remember him saying in the dorm one day, this is before contracts even exploded the way they did. He's, I'm going to be the first guy to make $80 million. He way, made way more than $80 mm -hmm. million. But he was, man, he was, he, was, he was relentless. You could see the passion in his game. Uh, he was a people's person, you know, the way he mm -hmm. is now. Very playful, um, comical. Um, but I knew that we, you know, we had something special, but we just couldn't put it together. Right. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you were highly touted, decorated. Shaq was Shaq. I think Stanley Roberts gets lost in the mix. How good was Stanley Roberts? Hold up, not for me, because I grew up live a couple of miles from there. Mm -hmm. No, they had the original two big fellas in him. Like Stanley did not get overshadowed if you watched LSU and if he was from that area. He was just as big as Shaq. Trust me, he was just as big well, as Shaq. I was from California. That's so what I'm saying. Know. But in yeah. the area, that's why he was I just asked. as big as Shaq. Yeah. But in the grand, in the grand, in the grand scheme of things, <coughs> nationwide. Yeah, 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 yeah. Talk to us about Stanley Roberts and what his game was like. Uh, Stanley, by far, was way more talented and skillful than Shaq. Mm. Stan Stanley could shoot it. He could shoot his free throws. <laughs> and he can take you down. And Now, he didn't have the Shaq bringing it up whole mm -hmm. court. Yes. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, and even Shaq admitted it. Mm -hmm. Shaq said, look, Stanley dominated him. Uh, the only thing with Stanley, man, and he'll tell you to this day, we were at, a, we were at a, a, a convention at LSU some years ago, because I hardly ever get back. 
and Stanley was eating and the ball, you know, we basketball players, you the ball rolled by, we gonna grab it and touch it. Stan was eating, talking, ball rolled by. Looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just kept on, I mean like, get, and I looked, I said, man, this dude, seriously, he don't want nothing to do with the game of basketball. Mm. But that's just him, even when he was playing, man, he just, I had to, and I'm not, I could beat this dude, but I had to sometimes piss him off Coach was like, man, get it under the skin. I was like, you ain't number up. He eat your, give me the ball. Give me the ball. Mm-hmm. But he'll go off, but he'll be missing two, three days. Mm-hmm. He'll just show you, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And then he won't, so he didn't have that discipline and that work mm-hmm. ethic. And I remember telling him one summer, man, I said, Stan, I had tears in my eyes, man, I would talk to him. Because I knew him. I said, Stanley, man. I said, man, if you just work hard, be consistent. I said, man, you can write your ticket. You can name your price. Mm-hmm. He looks at me. He said, man, at the time, my name was Chris. He said, Chris, man, I appreciate you, man. He said, man, but he said, I ain't going to listen. He said, I said, and I knew he was telling the truth. I said, mm-hmm. it, it even, man, make my eyes water when I think about it. Mm-hmm. I said, man, this dude has so much, mm-hmm. man, so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in the documentary, Shaq spoke to a particular performance where you had 40 points mm-hmm. uh, against Mississippi State on the road, Confederate flags in the stands, yelling, going crazy. He said that was the single greatest performance he's ever seen, playing with Kobe, playing in the league all these years. He said what you did in that game, he'll always remember as the greatest single performance. Talk to us about that game and just the environment when you're coming back home and it seems like your home is against you. Well, ain't no scene. Yeah, was. They they were definitely against me. As soon as I walked out and they saw my feet coming out the tunnel, man. The booze started. Yeah. that was a great game. I, I wouldn't have, I would have thought that would be the game that he say. Mm-hmm. However, I do remember that game, and I remember Dale got extremely upset because he didn't like going to Mississippi. He didn't like if it was his preference. He wouldn't have. He would have flew in, played, and left. Wouldn't have bought. Wouldn't have spent money in the hotel. He spent money in a motel. We say the motel. He wanted to spend the least amount. Mm-hmm. But there was a period in the game where Dale was like, you know what? And I felt kind of awkward. He said, okay, y'all don't want to play come down and shoot it every time. And I'm like, I, can't, you know, I came down and I was playing, but if somebody's open, I got to give it to them. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, I don't know if we won that game, that particular game, but it was a stretch when I just I just took control and went off. And I'm, I'm definitely uh, thinking that's what he's referring to. So it's, it's good that he at least remembers it. <laughs> yeah. Can you speak to the importance of Dale Brown? Because even in the documentary, he was just still so yeah. high on you and, and has passionate. so much love for yeah. who you were as a man, not just a basketball player, but speak to his importance uh, in your journey. Man, Dale, they came to recruit me in, in Mississippi. And one of the reasons, the main reasons I went there actually is because I know better now. You know, I do believe that athletes should get paid. Right, but I was a little scary. I didn't want anything to mess up my career. And they just came off of, I think, suspension. Something, uh, Hot Rod uh, Williams out of, uh, I forget his name, out of California. But, uh, man, they never, when he came in, everybody else is offering you stuff. Like, you gonna come and you gonna start right away, blah, blah, blah. And in my young mind, I'm saying to myself, we don't even know what tomorrow's gonna bring. How could you offer me something? Somebody else may come in and outplay me. And I just always felt funny about that. But Dale came in and said, listen, we got fair serving. You know, we believe that you can play. Pop, bop. We believe in your talent. If you show us that this is who you are, you're going to play. And, you know, I'm kind of like old school, you know what I mean? Like, okay. 
and they was just straight up with me. Mm-hmm. And I just shook, I just shook their hand. And I said, "Listen, I'm coming to LSU," but I kept it quiet for a while because I was told in Mississippi, you want to keep Mississippi schools because I was out, of, I wasn't out of high school yet. Mm-hmm. So they say keep one of them or so on the list because you don't want them to start giving you problems. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why I kept the Mississippi school on the list. But I, I already knew that I wanted to go to LSU. And so the other thing that clinched it was Coach Cars. We talked like thousands of hours, about a thousand hours. Ninety-some percent of them had nothing to do with basketball. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that meant a lot. Yep. Like these people, you know, potentially are gonna, you know, they're gonna they're gonna care for me more than the game. And uh, he held true to his promise. Uh, I mean, to to his word. And I got there, and he saw it, and he just said, "Hey, man, uh, I want you to go for broke." And uh, and he trusted me too. He knew that okay, I wasn't just gonna be a renegade with mm-hmm. him. Oh, and uh, so, and he also, man, he gave me, he was the one that influenced me, that led me to, more so to Islam, because he gave me the autobiography. Because he read, he, he read all the time. And he had so many connections, whether, you know, different people, man, whether it's Dick Gregory, Farrakhan, I mean, you name it. And uh, he would always hand us material to read and tell us what we thought, you know. Because I came out, I almost didn't make it, man. I failed the, the ACT the first time, and then the second time. And if it wasn't for a doctor that instilled into this woman to have the, the, the classes privately, I probably would have been a Prop 48 like Stanley. And, but I was able to pass it, and I came in. But the whole time at LSU, man, they had put me in a remedial reading class. I could read, I could spell, you know, but my comprehension skills wasn't great, mm-hmm. my critical thinking skills. So they would ask me questions prior to my being admitted into classes, like, what does, had me to read something. They said, what does this mean? Uh, oh, no, what does this word mean? I don't know. I can spell words. I ain't even know what they meant. What does this word mean? I don't know. What are you getting from the story? I was just reading, man. I was sounding good. And I felt so humiliated, though. And so Dale Brown began to give me a little material here, and then I would read it. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And even when I would give interviews, there were times he would stop. Hey, man, tell him what you think, <laughs> right? Because he saw me pussyfooting mm-hmm. around with, and it's so he would day. challenge This is all the smoke. Right, and then he put me in a summer job. My summer job was with this guy named Gus Wiles, who was an author who had a play, his plays presented, one of his plays presented on Broadway. So Gus would come in, and every morning I would sit, my whole thing, I would come in five to ten minutes every morning I would sit with him, and we just talk. And in our conversations informally, he just injects certain ideas in terms of speech and everything. And then I sit in my office and I'd read. And they'd take me to lunch. My whole day was reading and having conversation. And then that next year when I came and it was time to do interviews, I was more, well more seasoned than I was okay, the year before. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that started a process for me of wanting to know more and read mm-hmm. more and to become more vocal and confident. So, yeah, I'm I'm indebted to him for that. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, 
but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palbociclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. 
Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. 1990, third pick behind Derek Coleman and Gary Payton, mm -hmm. two legends. Um, what's your best memories of that draft? Going third. Going third, of course. <laughs> it, it's, it's over. Yeah. You know, in terms of, you know, I'm here now. Um, you know, you start thinking about, man, taking care of your mama. Mama and made your brother. <laughs> right, right. That, that, look. That's, that's, that's the most important memory I had, the most powerful memory. But then immediately it, it, it sinks in. Like, man, this is another level. Yeah. Uh, there are hundreds of thousands trying to be on this level, mm -hmm. and you got to be able to perform mm -hmm. and compete mm -hmm. and to sustain it, you know? Because I think at that time it was, what, three years you get your pension. Yeah. That was three how years. tough it was, like, because yeah. not everybody stayed three years. Right. And... And so you go into a new city, you never really paying bills on your own and mm -hmm. what, it, what, it, what it means to buy a house and to get all this stuff together. So that stuff is on your mind too. And then I'm going to Denver. I've never been in snow like that. Right. And then it's gloomy. Altitude. Then I'm out of shape, my, you know. And so there's a lot, man. But that's after the fact. But those are the things before the out of shape that I was thinking about. I'm like, wow, it, set, it, it settles in. Uh, you know that this is serious business. Yeah. And let me ask you this question, and a little off mental health. So I always tell people this, and just I want your opinion on it. The things that I've seen growing up, struggling and hard, as hard as it was to make it out, that would cause mental health. I can't see me having mental health today with the blessings that God has given me to change my life and my family's life, but we're not going through those same struggles. Is it? Can you say that someone, once they reach success and, and, and millions of dollars, that they can still deal with mental health after seeing the things that we come from? Yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, uh, um, I, I think uh, mental illness, you have, you, have, you have billionaires and you have millionaires committing suicide. Right. right? And it's all about, when it's all said and done, it's all about perception. You know, you have people that are poor that are more at peace than right. people who are wealthy. Right. And you have people that are poor that are not at peace. And you have wealthy people that are at peace. So I think it, it, it eventually boils down to a state of mind. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, we, we had it tough, but still life is tough. Right. You know, I mean, you look at the conditions nowadays, man. You look at over, what, 40 million or more people don't have, can't afford health care. Right. And you got to make tough choices, pay for my mortgage or pay for my health. You know, these are choices that we shouldn't with the wealth of this right, nation, right? right? And there's just so many other things, the misinformation, the miseducation that we go through. Mm -hmm. Things that we, look, look, I didn't know, man, when I was in high school, I said, man, if I'd have known this, I could have probably had a different view of myself, mm -hmm. you know, growing up. That about two and a half hours at Natchez, there was this, there's a book called The Prince of Slaves, talking about Abdurrahman, his father was a king of Timbuktu. And in Timbuktu, Prior to West, the West and Europeans having, having universities, they had universities, they had public roads, they had public lights. Books was the number one commodity. 
they were entrenched in knowledge to that degree. They were so well advanced. But we look at images, right, of Africa being what? Barbaric mm -hmm. and all of these things and all these images we see of ourselves. But I'm, look, I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm like, wow, they had all of that then? Yeah. And this dude was, he was enslaved. And this enslaver didn't know his father. I mean, the enslaver knew the king, but didn't know he had his son enslaved for all those years. Wow. And so I'm, I'm reading this story, I'm like, man, if I'd have known that and known that we, we had this type of potential, who's to say I would have been a basketball right. player? Right, You know, so, so to, to, to say that and to come, we, it's about perception. You know, and, and we grow up, a lot of us, we made it, but a lot of us, we didn't. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, this, this, misnos this, this misnomer that, you know, a lot of people, they use the ghetto as a, as a, as a card for toughness. Right. I'm from the ghetto. Mm -hmm. Not everybody from the ghetto. Man, you got, you got chumps in the ghetto yes, too. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and cowards in the ghetto, just exactly. like not everybody from the suburbs is soft. Right. That ain't true. Right. So... To answer your question, it, it just it deals with perception, and I was taught to that God gives everybody a strength and everybody a weakness, and it's up to you to find out what that strength is to overcome that weakness. Mm. And so, we all are experiencing hardships. But when I when I talk to children, when I talk to adults, you know, even the Quran teaches us wherever Allah says that He going to try you, He always reinforces it with something good. Mm -hmm. When somebody say somebody pointing the finger, three pointing back back at you. Yeah. So whenever you get hit with a hardship, always there's so many things to be grateful for, but whatever you focus on grows. Right. Mm. So if you keep focusing on the negative, it's going to continue to be negative, and it's going to show. And they say your, your thinking influences your behavior. Your behavior forms your character, and your character determines your fate. Mm -hmm. So if you're constantly thinking negative, negative, well, I can't do this, and well, you're you going you to end up in a bad yeah, position. Right. So it goes either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You spoke to mental health. Um, can you talk to the depression and how that impacted your first couple years uh, in the league endeavor? Man, uh, there was a period when, man, I got so depressed, man. I was, I was literally trying to count my coins. Like, man, can I make this stretch in Gulfport? Because mm. I just didn't want to play no more. Mm. I was out of shape, you know, because I got bad information. I just led, well, scored... Freshman, 30.2 points a game. Then I came back the next year, 69, 169. I was way better shape. Now I got two big dudes. Some will argue that averaging 28 with a Stanley and a Shaquille is more impressive than a 30.2 without him. Without him. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. But then I'm listening to people saying, well, you got to come back. You got to come to league. Bogey. I never had a trainer like, you know, like mm -hmm. kids do, children do mm -hmm. today. And so I just started eating and training. But I came back like 185. I eventually... Ended up getting to 192. Man, I was miserable. Then with that style that Paul Westhead had, constantly running, man, I was like, man, this is crazy. And you're in Denver. And then he didn't want to play me too on top of that, right? And I don't necessarily blame him. And uh, so I went through a period, man, in the Denver. The, Altitude, yeah. Like, man, I don't know. This ain't what I thought it was going to be. And I was miserable. A lot of people didn't know, and I was miserable, man. I was trying to find comfort through food, through relationships, you know, and all of that, through women, you know, just to, just to you know, satisfy my conscience. And then it took one day, I was walking into the store, and I saw a magazine, and I picked it up, and it said, he's a bust. Mm. And it just clicked. 
And I said, man, I don't want that to be my legacy. And a dude was with me at the time. I said, man, it's over. I'm changing. And that's when I started going to the gym. I'm doing Stairmaster for an hour. You know, I'm calling people in, let's go. You know, and we're training. And I lost like 40 pounds. And I came back. And then that next year, I ended up getting most improved. Mm -hmm. and, but yeah, depression is real, man. Yeah. It, oh, man. I never got to the point where I contemplated suicide. But I definitely got to the point where I said, God, if you take my life right now, I'm not even mad. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not even mad. Yeah. End of your rookie year was probably one of the best decisions you made. I know for me, uh, when I found Islam was the best decision for me. Uh, at the end of your rookie year, explain that process and uh, how you immediately benefited from taking your shahada. Uh, the process, man, was simple. Uh, simple in that. Um, I met a dude on Colfax in Denver. He had a bookstore named Salam Bookstore. And I would go in his book every day. Like, when we didn't have a game, I would go sit with him. I would buy his books. And we would sit, drink tea or whatever, and have conversations. And, uh, and along with reading the autobiography of Malcolm, that, that pushed me in that direction. And I was in contact with this, this in Catholicism, they call it a priest or a pastor. I can't remember. Priest. priest. And he had a protege named Mark James, and we became close. At our table one day, we having a conversation. Islam came up. I said, yeah. We both recognized we were interested. He told me he met a brother where we can go get the Quran. I went and got it. Man, rushed back home. I was, even though I read Malcolm and I was reading other books, I had never picked up the Quran. Wow, yeah. <laughs> right? Which yeah. was crazy. And we came back, man. I opened it up. I'm at my table. And no more than three pages. I can't remember. And I can't remember what I read, but I remember to this day how it made me feel. Because I had a lot of questions growing up, you know, and I would constantly get, you just got to believe, you can't question God. And that was unsatisfactory to me. And when I read those pages, man, it was just something in my soul that just made sense. It's like, there's no question that this is it. And I looked at him, I said, I don't know about you, my search is over, I'm gonna be a Muslim. So I started going to the masjid, I started talking to people and uh, getting material. And then that summer, after that year, uh, they had a rookie review in Utah where you NBA players go play. I came back, I think in August, and I embraced Islam. And people ask me, they say, well, what is it about Islam that attracts you? I said, from the first day to now at 53, every time I open it up and I engage it, not just read it for the sake of reading, but I engage it. I said, it's never, cease to satisfy my curiosity and answer my questions. And so as long as it's doing that, why wouldn't I? Right. You know, so for me, that's, that's, that's been why. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm constantly trying to be better and do what I do, whether physically, whether morally, emotionally, socially, politically, you know. Uh, I've understood a long time ago, you don't have, none of us will know everything. If we're always waiting to know everything before we move, we'll do nothing. Right. My, my thing is, whatever you feel you know, you act upon it and God will show you the rest. Mm. You know, so that's how I go. I'm not, I don't have the pride and the arrogance. Like, I'm going to throw it out there. That's, when I was young, I didn't do that. I, I didn't raise my hand in class. I didn't want you to ask me no questions because I was always, like, embarrassed what I may say or not say. So I'd just rather sit back because I wasn't great in school. But I've learned over the years that, you know, if I got something in my head, 
I'm going to throw it out to the public. I'm going to see what somebody's going to throw something back. If I don't know, you know what? That sounds, let me check on that. That sounds logical, but I don't know if, that's how I learn. That's why I'm always going to speaking engagements and I'm always telling people what I read. They're telling me what they read. I'm gauging people because you never, everybody has different experiences and different set of knowledge. I've asked you questions before and you gave me the answer. You was mm -hmm. like, I can say this, but let me go read up on it. Let me, let me, you know what I'm saying? You told me that a couple of times. Yeah. You wanted to go read up on it before yeah. you answered the question for me. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll answer based upon my understanding, but let me look at it further. But that's just been my policy, what I do, and I'm going to throw it out. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I'm going to throw it. Look, this is how I feel based upon this, this, and this. And I'm going to hold it. And if you can't satisfy, I don't care what your, your label is. I don't care if you're a scholar. I don't care if you're an imam. When it's all said and done, this ain't about arrogance. Mm -hmm. If you can make it make sense to me, I'll surrender. <laughs> I'll submit. <laughs> but just because of your label and you saying, but this, but mm -mm. if it don't make sense, it just don't make, I'm not going right. to do it just because of you. Right. I don't, I don't operate like that. Right. When I was younger, maybe. Right. But now, no, you got to make it make sense. And sometimes people try to intimidate you, call you names. Oh, you, you crazy. I'm not, well, that's okay. I know my intentions. But if you make it make sense, I'll submit. Third season, things start to click. You average 19, four assists, 94% from the free throw line. Um, speak to kind of things starting to come together and, and, and Dan Issel's ability to help you break out. Dan was good for us, man. Ex-player, he used to score, so he had a scoring mentality. Uh, he brought me into the uh, locker room and he said, look, man, the slate is clean. It's your, it's your job to have. Mm. And uh, I, was, I was still, man, hesitant, apprehensive, you know, but uh, I wanted to trust him. He ended up keeping his word. And uh, that was a season, man, that just went extremely well for me. Well, I ain't going to say extremely well. It went well, better mm -hmm. than, the, than the previous ones. Um, yeah. And that's when I ended up getting the most improved that mm -hmm. year. Um, and he, he ended up, you know, I think it's, it's, it's great when coaches are able to define roles. Mm -hmm. You know, you, know you, you got people that can score and rebound. You got to define roles. Not everybody's going to be a scorer, you know. Right. And he was able to define those roles. Like, these are the people we want with the ball mm -hmm. more so right. than anybody, right? It goes through them. Needs to be established. Yeah. And that came off of me losing that 40 at 40 pounds, yeah. and uh, I was just in enormous. I, I was, I was, I was my high school weight. I was 155. What I became my senior year with, mm -hmm. and they were trying to, oh, you. I said I listened to somebody that told me that I need to gain. Wasn't me. Now you, so I'm doing me now, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what it happened. Yeah. I mean, at this point, uh, your name is Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Um, coincidentally, you know, you're you're. you're really starting to find yourself off the court, playing better on the court, but there's pushback from that, from fans and, and, and media. Can you speak to when you've kind of entrenched yourself and made the name change and had that crossover? Because uh, there's been historical athletes who have done the same. Can you speak to what that transition was like for you? Yeah, um, you're right. So many athletes before have done that. The most notable, obviously, is Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. um, People sometimes are scared of what they don't know. 
Uh, but some people are very aware of the significance of a name change. Mm. To some people, they understand it to be a highly social and political move that you made because, look, most of our names are residues of slavery, no matter how, how, how we want to avoid that. Jackson, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And so when you decide to take the initiative to choose your own name, and it's not one of those names. For people that understand history, and they can get offended by it. Like, uh-oh, we lost this one. Mm -hmm. He has a mind of his own. Mm. He thinks for himself. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think some of that came from that. I really do. Uh, and a lot of it came from the fact, look, we have, in every walk of life, whether Christian, Jewish, agnostic, atheist, whatever, you have people that live a certain way. They claim to be one thing, and they don't totally practice. None of us are perfect, mm -hmm. right? And some, you can't tell, right, uh, in terms of, but when you begin to, like A.C. Green in the NBA, mm -hmm. he showed his Christianity, but he was also kind of shunned. He wasn't a part of the country club mm -hmm. because he was so strict with his beliefs. So when you began, when I began, when I first accepted First accepted, it was like, oh, hey, no problem. But when they started to see me engaging people in conversation, praying in the locker room, help, I gotta pray before the buzz go off. And I'm not, now I'm starting to have real conversations now, not just about some- Not superficial, right, yeah. Right, superficial stuff. Now it becomes an issue. Mm. And it's like, I, there's this sense that I don't want him to infect other people, right? <laughs> and I really felt that. I really felt that from the bottom of my heart. And it ended up coming out. Uh, what's his name? Mike Evans, assistant coach, went to the point of asking someone be uh, behind my back about Islam, stuff that he's been saying. And he came to me and said, Mahmoud, I talked to a religious. He said, you don't have to be praying, da 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 So he figured, I didn't know. I'm just a... Uh, not a Muslim that's not serious, but I read. Mm -hmm. And I ended up explaining to him, I said, listen, that's not correct. And I gave him some verses in the Quran. I said, Mike, from here on out, man, if you got a question, you don't have to sneak behind my back to go ask somebody and then see if I'm practicing my religion, mm -hmm. right? I said, come ask me. I said, I don't have no problem telling you the truth. Mm -hmm. And I said, and I'm going to tell you when I tell you something, go look it up. Because I want, that's how I'm going to gain a person's right. trust. Right. The more I show you something and you find it for yourself, you listen a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in the doc, um, it became national attention in 96 uh, when you decided not to stand for the national anthem. But you had been doing it, mm -hmm. what, four to six months, I think you said in the doc before yeah. that. When that kind of hit the national media, and we're at a time where obviously today something hits, we can instantly give our side the story, defend, whatever. We're not yeah. in that time in 1996. How did your life change? It was, it was pretty immediate, uh, the fallback. Uh, I remember after doing that, that interview, after shoot-around, I'm going home. We have a game against Shaquille O'Neal Orlando. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and the reason I say that, man, I'm, I'm, these are conversations we have all the time, right? On the bus, on the plane, we're having them. And so I didn't really think anything of it. I'm just speaking what I believe to be true. But I knew that it was serious when, even more so, I knew it was serious at the shoot-around. I knew it was even extra serious when Bernie called me to his office when I got to the arena. And he said, well, he said, the NBA wants to suspend you. 
if, uh, if you don't stand, what do you say? I said, Bernie, I'm not standing. He said, well, some people want to call you. So get them on the phone. And so we're now talking. I, don't, I wish I could remember who it was. And as we were talking, they said, uh, they started talking to me, trying to convince me. I said, listen, man, uh, I'm, I'm not going to stand. I said, so you do what you got to do, and I'll do what I have to do. And I'm so green, man, literally. I've never been suspended in my life. I'm thinking it's going to take an act of legislation. I'm going to be able to go play for a few weeks, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they got to go through a board and a process, and boom. And I'm like, can I go put my stuff on, man, and go play? He said, no. I said, I'm suspended now? He said, yeah. I said, well, can I get dressed and go into the arena and support the team? He says, no. Mm. I said, huh? He said, no, they don't want you on the premises. Have a go. So I walked out, went down, said what I had to say to uh, the teammates, and they looked, and I, I drove home before I knew it, man. It was global. It was all over the news. Then I got on the phone with some people that I knew, uh, a mentor of mine, and we talked. And that's the only reason only reason I came back the next day or whenever it was the next game is because of the example that he gave me about something that the prophet did in light of a situation when there was a Jewish funeral procession passing by and they were at war at the time. And the prophet stood up and his companion was like, hey, we fighting them and they fighting us. We're killing each other. He said, what are you standing? He said, I'm not standing because they gave, uh, I'm not standing for their cause. I'm standing because God gave a life and he took a life. Mm -hmm. He said, so you can stand and it not be for what America right. in its brutality and its, in its imperialistic ways and represent. You could mm -hmm. be standing for those who oppress, who are the victims, and you could be making prayer. And I was mad at him mm -hmm. when he told me that, in a way, because the pride in me didn't want yeah. to come. But he made so much sense. And I like to pride if you make sense. You got to yeah, respect it, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Man, I was like, oh! Mm -hmm. I mean, I was furious. Right. You know, and I said, because I knew what the media would say. Mm -hmm. uh, you going And so when I came back, it was very, oh, so you made a compromise. I said, listen, man, as a Muslim, as a human being, we make a decision, but if we see something better, we do that. I said, but don't make no mistake. I said, I still feel the same way. Right. That, that my position hasn't changed. And I had to keep beating that to him and let them know I'm not going to backpedal. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to become less outspoken as a result of this. We can go back to the same process if right. you want to and kick me, kick me out again. Right. No problem, you know. And, and so that's just been my position. And, and it's just my position, brother, because I said to myself years ago, and I keep repeating this, and we all have to, as athletes, how many times you wake up and you got to motivate yourself, yeah. remind your self-talk. And I said, you know what? My mission is to live and die with a free conscience and a free soul, mm. whether people like it or not. Can't put a price so, on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Real quick, a month before you suspended, 96 Bulls, historic team. You dropped 32 on that team. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that game and your mindset that game. Jordan, they had put Jordan at the point guard. Mm. Uh, they were trying to run him at the point. And he had just got back from getting lit up by Damon Stoudemire. And there was another guard that lit him up. And I think I was the third visit. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, I don't want to be the oddball. Yeah. You know, because we get offended. That's like, mm -hmm. he's six what? Eight? eight yeah. Mm -hmm. And Mahmoud, you guard. Baruch tonight on the post. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Give me the ball. You're going to get offended. Got this is my house. position. This yeah. is what I play. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I know you Jordan, but I ain't saying this. I ain't looking like this. But in your mind, you're like, are you serious? Oh, no. I can't be the oddball. So you go, I mean, even you already want to kill it. You mm-hmm. Come out with a killer. MJ, you're right. But even then, it's like, no, you got to even have more now. Yeah. You know, and so that was my mindset. I'm trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. To get him off of me immediately, mm-hmm. which ended up working, and they start changing up guys. And but I tell guys all the time, I say, look, man, y'all know. I say, look, it was nice to score those thirty-two and beat them, mm-hmm. but I I would rather flip it around and have the championship right. than that one that game. Win. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, battling against them, and then you know, hearing him speak, uh, how he spoke about you mm-hmm. uh, in your defense. How did that make you feel? Oh, you mean during the um, last dance? The the anthem? No, the anthem part. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh-huh. No, I was with all the 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 things that are circling Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. right? To hear him say something positive about that, mm-hmm. it was surprising. And and again, I'm I'm very appreciative. Anytime, man, irrespective of if I care about a person or not, I'm quick to acknowledge. I'm not the what is the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say naive, but can't think of the word right now, but I may not like Trump. I might not care for Trump. Right. But if Trump says something that makes sense, it's it's the truth that I'm connecting. Searching for. But that makes sense. But that don't mean I care for you too much. That's how I am with Kanye. (laughs) Right. And and a lot of people. So I I listen to the information. And if it makes sense, I go with it. If it don't, some people, though, it's like, well, you can't ever tell. I say, so you telling me this man can't tell you anything about business? Right. He can't tell you anything? Right. Now you're emotional. Right. So even with Jordan, I'm like, man, I appreciate that. Yeah. That you said that. I mean, it means a lot to me. Yeah. So that's the way I feel. In the aftermath of the national anthem, you were blackballed from the league. 20 years later, Colin Kaepernick is involved in the same situation. What, uh, can you tell me some similarities in the same things that he was going through, that you were going through? Well, he was publicly condemned yep. for his statements. <laughs> Um, you know, because of our labels, people don't necessarily, when we label ourselves and we allow society to label us, they don't see the rest of us, right? So when you're an actress, an actor, an athlete, anytime you say something outside of that framework, yeah, it's sacrilegious. It's, it's viewed as, you know, ridiculous, shut up and dribble. Right. You don't have the capacity to speak in this lane. So this is the same thing that happened to him. And also, you know, the, the, I don't know what his career was like before, but the diminishing minutes that he began to receive as a result. Because when, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, wow, this is similar. Mm-hmm. Because one, one thing, they start playing you less. And then they have a media that's back in Social media too. now. So, well, not just that, but a media, the media that says, oh. He's lost it. He's lost it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He can't play anymore. Yeah. To justify He's getting you out the league, can't, right? Throw, so so I'm, yeah, I'm looking at all. I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, this is so similar. The death threats, right? All of that, and this, these are every every. This is like the playbook, mm-hmm. right? And it's everything that I went through. I'm like, you know. So that's why I sent him immediately. I think I was new on social media at the time. I said, look, I'm for you a thousand percent. I just wanted to send my mm-hmm. my voice out, um, but it wasn't surprising. I mean, history. Is replete with these examples Mm -hmm. of every time a person, in particular a black athlete, speaks up about something, he's automatically uh, 
condemned and and uh, dehumanized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you because you want to, you want to, you don't want other people to be attracted to that. Right. Right. It's like he might influence, kind of like what Noam Chomsky said, the threat of a good example. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, he might infect the rest of them. They might start thinking in terms of trying to make a difference, social change. Right. And it's, you mentioned social media, and that was the biggest difference from our time to his time. And I didn't, it didn't, I knew it was different, but it didn't resonate to me until Dr. Harry Edwards, the ones that influenced yeah. John mm-hmm. Carlos yeah. and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to take those positions. He said to me, I'm, I'm not going to say this, because I think anytime anyone takes a position, no matter how big or great, you applaud it, you try to support it as much as humanly possible. But people are going to compare. Regardless. And he was like Mahmoud. He said, when Muhammad Ali took his position, he said they had a movement backing it, the black, the black power movement that they can frame it under. When Kaepernick did what he did, they had the Black Lives Matter movement that they can frame it under. He so said low. what made it easier because you can attach it to something. Right. He said when you and Craig did what you did, they didn't have no more. Mm. It's like you were in an ocean right. all yeah. alone. Yep. He said, which made that tougher. I said, wow, I didn't think about that like that. I said, that's deep. That's why he is who he is. Right. <laughs> right. But um, I could only imagine, because a lot of the letters, man, I was, when we were moving, I had a trash bag, and the dude confused the, the trash, trash bag the, from the trash. Mm-hmm. And I had so, so many letters of people, hate mail, but I had just as many, if not more, support, support from Jews, Christians, mm-hmm. atheists, and they were dropping down, they were breaking down history, mm-hmm. right? And I understood that, you know, as a system always, right? There's an agenda and more people, I think, than not on the street because the post is on the street. When you go to barbershops and when you go mostly anywhere, the private conversations people are having, mm-hmm. many people know what's happening. They know, they're disgusted, they're upset. You know, they're struggling, white and black. Right. They're struggling. and but there's this cognitive dissonance, you know, America's great, mm-hmm. but it's so terrible. Yeah, yeah. But no, you got to deal with the, the terrible, it's so bad that, you know, they say, look, in, by 2050, blacks generational income will be zero. Mm-hmm. It takes 228 years just to reach economic parity with Europeans, generational wealth. For mostly every medium income family, if you were to reduce their income and sell everything, and come back with liquid, they'll have a thousand and some dollars to their name. Mm. But but whites and Europeans will have a hundred and some thousand. This is this is unjust. Right. So there's so many things people, you know, are aware of. And uh, yeah, so when that was happening, all of these thoughts, you know, like, wow, this is a part of it. This is a blueprint. This is what they do, because they don't want people to know. They don't mm-hmm. want people to find out. And uh, I'm just determined, man, as long as I live to the day I die, as much information as I can, whoever will listen, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. But I also love to listen. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and all those two things are how you learn. We have so many people that are silent when the truth, you know, begs for advocacy, begs for supporters, you know, to, to you know, to speak their conscience, man. And, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges that we face. But I understand where it's coming from. There's a lot of people that are fearful mm-hmm. because time and again, history has shown that you got to play the game because if you don't, yep. you know, you might lose your job. Right. You might lose your life. Right. 
but we're going to die anyway. Right. You know, brother told me, he said, man, none of us going to make it out here alive. Mm. So you got a choice. You know, do you want to leave on the better truth or the better falsehood? And I know it's easier said than done. Right. Because we so caught up in this materialism, like, well, yeah, I don't want to leave. And I, no, man. Look, I, George Washington Carver said, no one has the right to come into this world and go out of it without leaving behind distinct and legitimate reasons for having passed through it. So when it's all said and done, it's about leaving a legacy worth leaving. And we all got a choice. And, and for me, look, I'm not perfect. None of us are. None of us I are. have my flaws. I'm not the most eloquent and articulate and smartest guy in the world. But I know where my heart lies, mm -hmm. and, and, and I know what my intentions are. And forever I'm going to strive to be better and to benefit people as much as I can, mm -hmm. you know, as much as I can. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one -on -one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one -on -one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpocyclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Another question, y'all. How important it is it is today for us to control our own narrative? Super important to control our own narrative because... Most of our existence, our narrative has been controlled. Uh, what was that? What was that African proverb? Until lions, be, until lions become this. I hate when I can't do this, but it's uh, um, growing up. When you hear stories about Africa, when you hear stories about, even if it's listening to the commentary on Kyrie, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's important to do the research, to, to, to be analytical, to investigate for yourself, and also to own your own story. Because, like, even, even with documentaries, there are people, if you don't own certain things, they can demand that, look, we don't want that shown. Right, right. We want this out. And, and it can change the, the breadth of the conversation mm-hmm. tremendously. Completely, right. yeah. You know, so uh, that should be... That's a part of having power, being able to tell our stories. Mm-hmm. You know, you can talk about economic power. You can talk that that's important too, but that's a part of it. You got to own your story, and 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 tell it the right way. Yeah. In the documentary, you find out who your father is. Uh, you find out when to where. You find out your father's family. Excuse me. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you you meet. You find out that Wendell Ladner was a two time All Star in your family. <laughs> In the ABA. Yeah. What, what was your mind frame when you found out somebody in your family was in the league? You come from who? That was funny, man. <laughs> but 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 it I I also had I thoughts that when I brought my mother her home that day, you know, and just flying constantly, always thinking something bad's gonna happen. I would one of the things I would think would happen and because I was constantly doing was, man, uh, this is too good to be true. I might Mm. Uh, getting a plane crash and come to find out he died in a plane crash. Mm-hmm. I think he also played with Dr. J and Dr. Mm-hmm. J came yep. to to uh, Gulfport. Which uh, was your favorite player. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. To his funeral. I said, wow, what? I don't want to say coincidence. Full circle. Yeah, full circle, full circle. <laughs> and the whole family, large portion of the family is connected to basketball. So it made sense, you know, that 
this is what I gravitated to. I couldn't see no hoopers at that table now. When they when you when, <laughs> no, no, when you no, no. met the landlords, I, I looked at the table. I didn't see no just no thirty and ten on the table. <laughs> I didn't look. I didn't see them either. <laughs> I, but I ain't gonna lie to you, man. With our history, and I told them this at the table. I said, listen. They said, how do you feel? And I can't remember the exact words. I said, look, I have to be. I'm gonna give it to you straight with no chaser. I said, you know, a part of me, I'm excited. You know, and I said, but a part of me also, with the history of this nation, the relationship with blacks and whites, I said, still, there's unanswered questions. I said, I, I think about, you know, this person that had sex with my mother. Was it just for reputation? Did he molest her or rape her? You know, why am I the only child in my family that don't know? My brother's father was white. He knows it. My younger brother was African-American, but for all of my life, I don't know mine. She's always been quiet. This is why some, for some reason, I don't think, I think it's somebody with some importance mm -hmm. because she never told me, but the other ones knew. So why don't I know? And so I'm thinking maybe this is a person, maybe he was a politician, maybe he had money, keep your mouth shut. Never, but even if that was the case, it never benefited us. Right. We, we miss meals. Mm -hmm. We didn't have certain clothes, you know, freezing in the winter. You know, so I can't help but think, and I told them that, you know, and then they were trying to say who they thought it was, and this guy was this and this and this. I hear you, maybe so, but still I don't know. Right. And still that doesn't make sense. Right. If he's that such a guy, if he, if they knew he was, a, he loved women and he dated black women and it was public, then why would I, I know. know? Right. That doesn't make sense. You talk about, uh, well, on, on that note, it's good you're still searching because I found that I was related to Bun B, the rapper, and we found out that we can go get this property that's in my family's name in Louisiana. They just made a rule in Louisiana that if you can come up with the with the paperwork and prove that your family owned this land, then they got to give it back to you. You ain't got to buy it. So that's what I just found out from Bun B. So it's good that you're trying to find it out because you might have some land somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> your love for the game, obviously things ended the, the way you didn't want it to end with the NBA, but the big three came about. Yeah. When you first knew, heard that you had an opportunity to play again professionally against other pros, the game that's been taken away from you, the platform has been taken away from you, you had a chance to do that again, yeah. almost at 50. Yeah. How you felt? How did you feel? Man, it was a combination of excitement and nervousness. Yeah. Because it's been so long, you've been out the game. And then you know coming in, you're going to probably be one of, if not the oldest, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, out there, because a lot of people don't take care of them, themselves. Right. And, uh, and you know there's politics and everything, too. Right. Right. And so uh, if it wasn't for CJ, because mm -hmm. uh, that was a guy that brought it to me initially, but I wasn't interested because a lot of leagues pop up. Right. And then they fail. And then when CJ came, I was, I was at that time in my life, I said, you know what, man? I want to go do it. Mm -hmm. And... It just so happens that, because Gary didn't really want to play me. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna just be straight up. Yeah, yeah. Cause, but but what's his name ended up going down? White chocolate. Yeah. So he was forced to play me. Right. And then when he well, played, you ended, you, get, you ended up getting drafted in the big three by somebody who was drafted with in the NBA draft, Gary Payton. Yeah. And there's a story <laughs> behind that now. If you want me to tell you, <laughs> yes, it was all the smoke now, because still. Even though I didn't miss a shot in the, in the, in the, they said I didn't miss a shot in the whole combine. Combine. Yeah. And was in the best shape. 
I saw guys going before oh, friendship picks. picks. Yeah, friendship friendship picks. you know I know. I said, I already know it's politics. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and CJ told me they were getting ready to pick somebody that's the equivalent of Rashard. He said, man, you already got this and this and this. He said, man, you need another guard. What happens if what's his name go down? He said, well, who? Mahmoud. He said, you right. Right? But I'm just, look, Gary didn't want, he, he, he didn't want me, mm -hmm. even though public perception. Yeah. Because I started playing well. Right. So as I'm playing, as, as when White Chocolate went down, he was forced to play me. Mm -hmm. So now I'm getting into a rhythm. I'm playing. This was game one of the season. This was Brooklyn. Game yeah, one of big three boom. season. Yeah. Yeah, so he started playing, but he was still trying to play. Uh, I forget the other guys on the team. Because mm -hmm. one guy, good dude, but just he wasn't he wasn't he able wasn't to handle ready. the rock. Yeah. yeah. And so things started shifting for me. I'm 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 getting my rhythm and scoring. Now you can't sit me. Mm -hmm. But there were moments he was still dry. But but <laughs> but anyway, make a long story you short. You start hitting game one and oh, stuff like that. No, he, no, yeah. no, it's it's real because we we deal with that though. Right. Even sometimes, I love him. But even so sometimes sometimes among our own. Mm -hmm. yeah, right? Yeah. I'm absolutely. like, man, come on, man. Don't have to be this way, right? <laughs> <laughs> we make it harder than what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, but I ended up, I think, going on a two, two year. Uh, two-year run, mm -hmm. and then slowly, you know how it is. Yeah. You know, make a long story short, it was beautiful. I, I enjoyed it, the competitors. But for me, even more so, man, it was the, it was the being able to play at this age and still be functional with guys that are much younger. Yeah. You know, and I would joke with guys. i say, hey, man, you know, I don't like, I, don't, I ain't no trash talker but I'll play around. I said, if you score 20 and I score, uh, uh, I score uh, 15 or 16, you look bad. <laughs> if I score, I said, now if I score, so either way, you got more to yeah, lose than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I score more than you, if I score the same, I score a little less. So I'm trying to put in their mind because they come out mm -hmm. trying harder now. Mm -hmm. You know, man, I ain't going to let this old dude. You know, but that was the, it was fun for me, man, and just to meet people. Yeah. You know, like yourself, because yeah. we didn't know each other then, yeah. coming up. And just to see people that I was watching on TV after all of the younger generation and just their personalities. And most everybody I meet, man, on the level, whether they're actors or, or athletes, and I tell people, because sometimes you get around, man, these athletes. I said, no, 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 no. I said, you going to, everybody, we're human. Everybody going to have that. Then you got some bad ones. Right. You got some arrogant ones. I said, but for the most part, man, my experience, most of the people that I've met, they're really good people and they're humble. Mm -hmm. A lot of them had to be to get there. I said, so don't, don't label all right. because of that one or two experience. Mm -hmm. I said, most mm -hmm. people, are, they'll speak to you and they'll be kind to you, you know, because they come out of some of the same social, yep. economic conditions. Right. They ain't forgot. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was great, man. It was great. For, for me, and I, I know for me and a lot of players in, in the big three, it was a, it's, it's an honor to have you in the league, not only because we can say we're a part of a league that's giving you an opportunity yeah. to play the game again, but what you mean to us. Appreciate it. You know, it's a lot of guys like me. Like, even when I met you, I just became Muslim, but I looked up to you for so many reasons. And one thing's for being your own person and speaking your mind, but I was told when I was going through the George Floyd thing that you got something similar to you. Mm -hmm. Everything that you've been through as a kid in your upbringing mm -hmm. built you 
for that moment when you had to take that stand. Mm -hmm. And I was told the same thing. Everything that I was, I learned, that I've been through with the NBA and growing up to get here, it built me to uh, to go through the things with George Floyd. And I, I just, I just want to give you flowers and, and tell you how much we appreciate you yeah. because a lot of us wouldn't even think about being in that space or have the confidence to stand up. You know, a lot of people are not risking anything, but mm -hmm. you was risking everything and stood up to do something that didn't benefit you. Yeah. And I, that's one thing I learned about being a Muslim. Try to wake up every day to show Allah you deserve everything he's blessing, blessing you with, but mm -hmm. also make it a point to do something that don't benefit you, mm -hmm. right? And, and for you, you don't know how you benefit so many people and how mm -hmm. you and what you mean to so many of us, man. So I just, I've told you this a couple of times, but publicly, I want to tell you I love you, man. And I appreciate love everything you, you stand for, what you mean and what you do and, 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 and the person you are because you gave a lot of us confidence to, to be ourselves and to understand to have our own mind and think for ourselves. So I love you, bro, and I appreciate I love you. I too, man. I appreciate that. I'm always humble when I hear that. And you've always been... Uh, that guy in the big three, man, every time I see you smile, you're positive, you're encouraging. So that goes a long way. You know, there's a saying, I think Einstein may have said it, I don't know. He said, if you want to find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others. Mm. You're not really believing that. You yeah, want to find you yourself, lose, lose yourself. Lose yourself in the service of others because, you know, when you begin to, to share, whether it's information, whether it's your wealth, whether it's your time, you really, it does benefit you. It benefits you in enormous ways, your peace, your health, and it all comes back. It all comes back. But you do it just, you want to do it out of just genuineness, mm -hmm. just for your love of humanity, even though people may not really understand it, you know what I mean? Because there's a saying that in, in Islam that if you take one life unjustly, it's as though you've killed all of humanity. That's how valuable life is. And so you flip that if you benefit one life. Yeah. You know, so we're constantly trying to Increase our blessings mm -hmm. in every in every single way, man. So I, I appreciate that. It means a lot. To hear to, one more time to to hear you and to you hear to hear you and Craig Hodges like I had a speaking engagement. And he kind of said the same thing. I think that means more to me what I did for George Floyd to have people like you and George and you and uh, Craig Hodges come to me and tell me, man, I'm proud of you yeah. for what you've done. You know what I'm saying? Because I didn't know I'd be in that position, yeah. but I've seen what you guys, you know, we've been through. So to hear that from you and him, it means a lot to me. And it, want, it wants me to continue to do the right thing and do something for other people. Yeah, well, you know, when you put yourself in a line of fire, mm. there's a whole different, different ball game, mm -hmm. you know? And so there's a whole different level of respect for whoever because not everybody does it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we do it in different, you know, do it in different ways. There are different ways to help, but that one right there is so overt and yeah. in your face. And there's a lot of risk involved. So, yeah, we Every need more of it. Yeah, <laughs> everybody's voice matters. Consistently, yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, you spoke to Dr. Edwards saying that there was nothing really to attach what you were standing for at your time to. There wasn't too much support. You were really like almost on an island. Um, looking back on that now and, and seeing, you said you had a, a bag of people who appreciated and were riding with you, but then when you see guys like all the guys that spoke in your documentary, Steph and Shaq and everyone kind of, Jaden Rose, thank you and praise you and show you love. You sacrificed what we all dream of doing. We all dream of being a hooper and you were at the most elite level and you <laughs> sacrificed your career for that. Now, looking back when you're getting and not that you're even looking for it, but that you're actually getting the praise and respect and, and love now. Is it better late than never? Is it bittersweet? How does that make you feel now looking back on the situation when you were kind of standing on your own, but now there's so much support? Uh, 
times change. Mm -hmm. You know, people's people's thoughts about things change. The ones that were in the video uh, were the ones that, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, when I was going through that process, were also the ones who said some positive things. Mm -hmm. Chat mm -hmm. said something. Jalen. Mm -hmm. um, um, but, you know, you're always grateful. You know, we, look... We all reach points in our life at different times. And so, you know, I hear a lot, well, man, you were before your time, you were before your time. And I appreciate that. But I'm at the same time, I'm always rooting for people, like I'm rooting for myself, because there's so much I can learn and so much more I can do. I'm never comfortable with, oh, I reached right. the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. No, that's when you start, that's when things start going wrong. Right. I'm always feeling that there's, I can do more. I can learn more. You know, I can benefit more people. And and so even in that case, you know, some people be like, oh, man, it's too late now. You should have been. Mm. No, I'm like, look, it's better late than never. Mm -hmm. right? You know, you are, you are here because, you know, this is the time for you. Right. And so now that you're here, it's up to you to do something. Mm. And so I'm always rooting for people. Dope. You know, I look at people, I'm like, man, when you know something, you right. feel you know something, and you're talking to somebody, and they disagree, you understand, right? But you, man, I wish you could see it the way I see it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not gonna condemn you for right. it. Now I'll say I, I disagree or disagree, mm -hmm. but I'm gonna always be rooting for you. You know, always be rooting for you. So, uh, it's I, I I don't know the word to use yet. Uh, it's not coming to me. But uh, there's a timing and a place for everything, mm -hmm. and I'm very grateful for those voices and those people. And my only my only thing would just be, man, to uh, to continue, and I know it's cliche, and it's so hard to continue when things are constantly coming right. your way. But like anything, if you want to be great at something, I tell everybody this myself: you got to practice. Mm -hmm. If you want to be great in basketball, you got to practice. Mm -hmm. If you want to be great in patience, you got to practice. Yeah. If you want to be great in being a social activist, you got to practice. But you also, in practicing, you got to surround yourself. They do studies all the time, and they say that if a if you're out of shape, hang with somebody in shape. If you're not smart, hang with a smart person. Why? Because there's a, there's a language, there's a lifestyle, there's a pattern. And the more you're around them, the stuff going to eventually rub off. Mm -hmm. Soak it up. Yeah. You're getting your flowers, but I wish they could throw a max contract at, that you missed. <laughs> throw that at you, too. Oh, no. <laughs> but, but you know what? I'm also, it's funny you say that. You know, I'm that dude, though. Like, you hear a lot of people going, to, they win settlements. Yeah. And someone's asked, they said, man, if you want a settlement, like, would you? I said, you know what? That'll be very enticing. And do they owe, they owe a lot of players, though. I'm saying, I'm not the only one that they, right. they mm -hmm. did this to. Right, right. And I said, for me, I wouldn't allow you to pay me if you're not willing to go pay back everybody. and pay those before. Yeah. Because I can't, I, can't, I can't operate like that. I got paid, but no. Because it almost sounds like hush money. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I'm not going out like, I'd rather be broke. Mm -hmm. and we all be on the same level, then you pay me. And I know that Craig and so many other yeah. people ain't benefited. Yeah. No, you, know, you got you to take care of everybody. Mm. Yeah. All right, quick hitters. Uh, first thing to come to mind, let us know. First thing you do in the morning, last thing you do before you That's go to sleep. Easy. I know that. Oh, uh, uh, I pray. And I read and then pray. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Five dinner guests, dead or alive. I want to hear these. Great conversation. I'm about to go get I hate them. those questions, though. I'm, I'm going to be real with y'all. 
Because there's so many. So many, yeah. Just give us five. Prophet Muhammad. Of course. Peace be upon Adam. Man. First man. And how Eve. Yeah. yeah. Both of them? Both of them. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I, um, that's three? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Um, Last spot. Um, Jesus. Esau. Well, Esau. Esau. Y'all gotta know. Y'all gotta read to you, uh, You plus four on the blacktop. You and four other people, not in the league, but outside pickup game. Oh, not in the league. Not in the league. No, they could be in the league. I'm saying you're not. You're playing outside, outdoors. On the blacktop. Jordan. Ah, he's a tough man. I, I'm gonna go with him because it's my boy Hakeem. Yeah, of course. Whew. That's three. Uh, Huh? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, this is tough, man. Jordan. Hold on, Jordan. You got to think you're on the blacktop, so ain't no foul calling. Right, right, right. Oh, ain't no foul calling. Yeah, you on the blacktop. Jordan, Hakeem, myself. Dennis. Dennis Robin. Robin. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's a good I like call. that, too. Uh, and, uh... I'm going to go with somebody y'all ain't heard in a long time. I'm going to just pick him because I want to pick him, and he was like a small shack but played a two-guard. The microwave. Benny Johnson. Johnson, yes. Instant oatmeal. We on the blacktop. <laughs> Instant oatmeal. You put him in the game, that's 12, 14 <laughs> points. Quick. <laughs> yeah, Benny Johnson, yeah. I want some size. All right, last but not least, if you could see anyone on our show, who would it be? But... Before you answer that question, you have to help us get your answer on our show. Oh, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. I don't know all the people y'all had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Hakeem. Ooh. Nice. Elijah, We overdue. The day I took my shahada, he called me as well. Yeah, Hakeem. Great, great guy, man. He gave me a lot of good games. Oh, we need. We, we need the, the dream. dream. The oh, dream. Oh, man, look. He's dream. a Hall of Famer. Really. Mm -hmm. Dude, so, he's so philanthropic, man. Mm -hmm. He gives so much, man. Yeah. We used to pray before games in Houston. We prayed before games in Denver. Yeah, so. Come give us some of your time, He, he gave me some keys. Some, he gave me some good keys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Very soft-spoken, brother. Yes. And a fight. Oh, in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. <laughs> I love it. Mahmoud, we appreciate your no. time. We got some merch for you right oh, here. Man, oh, kind, trust man. me, he like merch now. Especially <laughs> yeah. workout merch. He yeah, like I merch. Know, I know. I'm, I'm going to use it today. <laughs> where can we where, where can you get that, Jack? At allthesmoke.store. You can have it as well. Make sure you guys check out Stan, the Mahmoud Abdul Rauf story. I don't want to miss it. Only on Showtime. We got a chance to watch it last night, man. Very insightful, very emotional, emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Make sure you guys check that out, man. Beautifully done. Um, Hopefully, it'll win an award. Yeah. Should. Well, that's a wrap, man. Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Thank you. All the smoke. You can catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platform, Black Effects. We'll see y'all next time. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.